Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. The osmosis of spiritual leadership. I'm going to start something uh, probably for the rest of this year and all in next year when we're going to be looking at the word of God and giving you, those who hear me, assignments. And these assignments are going to be so that the message will be enhanced. So for those of you that can remember or are taking notes, your assignment is going to be Exodus 18 and Deuteronomy 1 and 1. No, Deuteronomy 1. Read the whole chapter. Deuteronomy 1 and Exodus 19. Message title may seem strange to some of you, the osmosis of spiritual leadership. Let me give you the technical definition of osmosis. It is the movement of one solvent through a membrane into a solution of higher concentration that tends to equalize two sides. Now, I know that may seem like a lot. Let me just give you a simple definition by giving you an example. A good example would be when you spill some water and you put just the corner of a paper towel into the water, the water will flow and be absorbed deeper into the towel. Maybe this will help you. Whenever you want to turn a page, and your finger is dry, what do you normally do to make it adhere to the paper? You lick your finger. You're taking moisture and putting it on something that's dry so that it absorbs and you'll be able to do what you want to do. That's the technical definition. The spiritual definition of osmosis is that process by which values Morals and conviction are transferred from one person to another. Now say that again. It is the process by which values, morals, and conviction are transferred from one person to another. Now this process of spiritual osmosis can be conscious or unconscious. Sudden and dramatic. Or it could be slow and gradual. Our text today teaches us the need for spiritual osmosis. Let me give you the background. Moses was given the responsibility of leadership over a large group of God's people. They had just been recently freed from Egyptian slavery on their way to Mount Sinai and then further into the promised land. On the way, the, on during the journey, something happens that often happens to a progressive church. The people became discontented, complaining 
and grumbling people. I want you to keep in mind these are God's people who became discontented, grumbling and complaining people. Moses was like many people in leadership position today. For we'll find in the text that he never asked for help. Now this is that occurred after the account that's recorded in Exodus, your reading assignment, 18 and 25. So this was the second time that Moses had been overwhelmed with leadership responsibility, but he did not ask for help. The first time was when God used Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, to give him wise counseling. You'll find that when you're reading your assignment. But this situation was different. You see, the Exodus account, Moses was advised by Jethro to appoint men to act as civil authority. But in numbers here, Moses instructed by God to appoint men to act as spiritual burden bearers. Now, if we look at our text in Numbers 11, I want to bring out eight things that I think is of special interest for the leaders today or the men today or everybody here today for our learning. That we can take something from these things and learn, as we said this morning, faith development about ourselves. And some of these things hit you. Just say, thank you, Lord, and move on. First of all, I want to let you know before we start the text that these things are not in chronological order. The author uses restatement summaries to emphasize his point. And the first thing that I want us to see in this text and to examine is the complaint. The complaint. I want to be reading from select portion of Numbers 11.1 and I'm going to skip down to 4. So the first thing is what now? Say it again. Because that's where a lot of things start. We complain. Numbers 11.1 Now when the people complained... It displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. The Hebrew word for complain is also rendered murmuring. But I want you to really get a really good understanding of this word complain, because sometimes we think our complaints are legitimate. This is not the case in this text. The Hebrew word here translated as complain carries the idea of a visible, verbal expression of dissatisfaction with something which has been given to you. Now, we got Thanksgiving coming up in a couple of weeks. But down the road, we're going to have that holiday that we call Christmas or Christmas. 
How many of you are willing to confess that you have got something as a Christmas present that you were dissatisfied with? It's one thing to be dissatisfied with something, but it's another thing to express it visibly and verbally of your dissatisfaction. Now, I already found out I'm going to give some of you later a Christmas present suggestion. A bow tie. Somebody's going to get that. They know what I'm talking about. But now, if you buy them a polka dot green bow tie, <laughs> and they say, oh, well, thank you. They have given you a visible and a verbal expression of, I am dissatisfied with. Now, that's all right with Dave Wilcoxon. But when we are dissatisfied with the way things God gives us, the text says he heard it and he was displeased. Think about what you complain about the most that God has given you. Yeah, I may be going through some health issues, but I'm alive. So I don't want to complain about my status. God has given me these 75 years and I'm glad about it. But we can get in the, in the mindset of we complaining about everything. Complain about our hair, complain about our clothes, complain about the weather. God has given it to us. In this case, God had provided for these people food from heaven. It was called manna, stuff that fell from the sky. We're going to talk more about it. But the point is, the people were dissatisfied with what God gave them. And they had an expression that everyone could see and hear. People were not satisfied with what God had given them in their freedom. See, they were free. They'd been in slavery for 400 years. They were free now, and God was providing for them until the, until they got into the promised land, food from heaven. But these people preferred to go back in their minds to slavery. They enjoyed what they were doing in the past as far as food goes. Kind of like somebody that God has delivered from alcohol. You're all right with that. But you've been going down the wild wing and some of these other places serve alcohol because you want some hot wings. And you get mad because now you've been convicted by going to this place that sells alcohol because you want the hot wings. Somebody get that in a minute. The complaint. But there had to be, and here's number two, a cause of the complaint. So what's number two? The cause. Okay. Reading on in verse one. So fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed in the outskirts 
of the camp. Verse 4 said, Now the mixed multitude who are among them yield to intense craving, so the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Two primary causes. And I want you to get this. Don't miss this because sometimes when we read text and we read so quickly, and that's why God called people like me and Jeff and the other ministers to break certain things down. Two words here. Outskirt. It says some in the outskirt. The outskirt refers to those that was farthest away from the Ark of the Covenant. Now, some of you may recognize that the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. So those that was on the outskirt was farthest away from God, so it symbolized broken fellowship. So the outskirts, they are actually Jews, or we want to put it in today's day, they are believers but they are the farthest away from God. And if you're the farthest away from God, you ain't hearing what God is saying. But the second complaint came with what they called the mixed multitude. Now, the mixed multitude were non-Jewish. They were exiled along with the Israeli when they left Egypt. I want you to think about this. Just think about this. Where did they just come from? Slavery. What kind of menu do you think a slave had? Do you think they had a whole bunch of choices about what they would eat? So it was this mixed multitude who was the one that had the garlic and the leeks and all the good things. And they were reminding themselves and the Israelite God people heard it. And they began to get jealous of what the people had, so they joined right in. It's one of those things that where you say, yeah, that's right. You're hearing other people talking about something, you ain't even thought about it, but then it makes sense to you. You say, yeah, that's right. This infectious, negative attitude osmosed over to the Israelites. The results were there was a lack of appreciation for what God had given them. They were all right with the matter. Now, the matter is, some of you, some of you like pancakes. It, 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 it was like a very light pancake. And, and up north, sometimes they have a place called Perkins. If you ever get a chance to go there, go there. They got the best pancake next to my wife. But they were like pancakes that were falling from the sky. And they were enjoying the pancakes until the other people say, I'm tired to eat pancakes. It's just like a child. You know, you can convince a child to say something. You say you like something, they say, me too. So here, here God people say, me too, to this. And they start not to appreciate what God had gave them. Now, I'm going to challenge you. You've got to look at everything that you have that's good from God. Because it says in Scripture, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. So stop complaining about it. (sighs) 
So what did they do? The mixed multitude, the outskirts, and now the Israelis all go to Moses. And they begin to complain. This complaint began to stress Moses out. He didn't know what to do. So he cried out to the Lord in anger and frustration. So we went from a complaint to a cause. Now I want y'all to look at the confession. Number three, confession. Now what did I say? Say it again. Numbers 11, 13, 15. This is Moses speaking after people come complaining. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. Verse 14. I am not able. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Moses confessed his limitation and his inability to please all these people. And that's one of the first things you get into, leaders. You're trying to please people, you're going to become frustrated. He was at the point of giving up. He understood it was utterly impossible to feed these people. And he knew he could not do it. Look at verse 15. If you treat me like this, Please kill me here and now. You know what that is, folks? That's suicidal thoughts. If I haven't found favor in your sight, now he's getting depressed. And do not let me see my wretchedness. He's at the bottom of guiltiness right now. Moses was so depressed that he wanted death when all he needed was help. Say it again, Dave. He was at the point where he wanted to die when all he needed was help. But he didn't ask. A lot of things that's going on in our families and our marriage is because somebody will not ask somebody else for help. Leave it there. Here's what Moses' attitude. This is my job. This is my God-given responsibility. And I am letting God down. I can't do it. The text indicated that Moses felt like a failure. It's hard for him to deal with it. Death was the only way out. Now I know I got some mercy students here and some of you grads have been around. You realize what the statistics of suicide among college students is now how much it has risen in the last five years. Because the expectation is so high, especially Christians. They find themselves morally slipping and failing in grades. They felt like they're letting mama down, pastor down. 
and they would rather not live. Where all they had to do was to ask for help. We were talking about that in faith development. Because there was somebody that was willing, like Samantha Moreland, to share when they were going through some things that you could get delivered from. It makes you feel bad when you realize somebody else has overcome something that our teacher Jeff Brother tells us about that you can overcome it. All you need is help. But Moses didn't ask. He felt that death was the only way out. And Moses' emotion is common among pastors today. We often gauge our pastoral ministry, success or failures, by others' ministries. But our viewpoint is not God's viewpoint. See, we look at ministry numbers. God looks at ministry health. Okay. Let me, let, let, me, let me see if I can give you an example. Most of you here have two kidneys. You were born with two kidneys. Two is more than one, right? Well, I ain't got but one kidney, but I'm healthy. Because the kidney that was moved was cancerous. Now, wouldn't you rather have one good kidney instead of having a good kidney and a bad kidney? But we have this tendency to gauge success with numbers. And God look at us how healthy is the church. So that's what we have to worry about. How healthy is the church, not how many in the church. Talking about the local church. We believe that suffering, when you're going through something, the devil will try to convince you that's a sign of failure. But as with Moses, God has a plan. Uh, I got an email last week from Deacon Harry Taylor, who was telling me that after last Sunday message, he went out and got a book on spiritual leadership. And I thank Harry Ford about that kind of money. And I thank Harry Ford. Because he gave me another resource. John MacArthur and John Maxwell are the, uh, pretty much the authority on spiritual leadership, but here's a guy named uh, J. Omar Sanders. And I was looking, here's what he said. He said, spiritual leadership and suffering go hand in hand. And I say, amen. Spiritual leadership and suffering go hand in hand. That's why we got so many issues, too, because people don't want to suffer. Moses was in a position of spiritual leadership and didn't realize that that's all a part of suffering. That's why he really wanted to die. God knew he wasn't blind. He knew that Moses needed help. And he was going to provide help for Moses, but it was going to have to be special help. It was going to have to be spiritual men. That was the cure 
which is number four, the cure. The cure. So we have the complaint, we have the cause, we have the confession, and now we have the cure. What did I say? I didn't hear it. Numbers 11, verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, gather me, 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Let me stop right there. He told Moses, get people you know. Don't just get it. You people that already got something in them. And then he said, bring them to the tabernacle. Where's the tabernacle? The church. Hmm. That they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. Where? At the church. Is somebody getting this? The people want to know what God's will for them, but they ain't coming to where God is talking. I will take the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. God gave clear instruction to Moses. It's going to be a process of spiritual osmosis to a selected group of men. Now, according to Sanders, the spirit takes naturally what you already have. Ain't nothing you got to go out and get or tarry for it. Something you already have. And then he enhances it and stimulates it Maximize it for the glory of God. Now, who are these spiritual men? And we talked about that last week. And we said spirituality means to be sensitive to divine prompting. We also said that it's not prone to yield to fleshly influence. Let me add three things to that. Spiritual men are those not being led by their emotions of pride, anger, hate, or prejudice. Say it again. Not being led by the emotions of pride. You want to call it ego, you can call it male ego all you want to. I'm the man. Not being led by anger. If you're one that flies off the helm with somebody always going against you. Not being led by hate, don't like somebody, or prejudice, somebody don't look like you. The other thing I want to add is not being selfish. Jeffrey goes back to what you've been talking about, pride. It's all about me. I want my needs met. And again, that's another problem we have in marriage. I want my needs met. And number four, guided by the word of God. Now, I'm thankful that I'm married to a woman that she corrects me, but she's going to always correct me in the word of God. Always. And what can I say but you're right. But men ought to be guided by the word of God. But something had to take place before the cure. 
And that's the consecration. Consecration. Number five. Consecration. I hope y'all get notes. Let's not get my notes. Verse 18 of chapter 11. Then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves. Get that. Yourselves. Consecrate yourself for tomorrow. And you will eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. That word consecration is also, I think, in King James, translated as sanctify. Sanctify. Now, hold your horses on that. They were supposed to get sanctified or concentration prior to receiving the spirit before the cure came. Now this word is a technical term to identify non-priestly process of purification such as washing before you come into the presence of the Lord. Now y'all hold with that now. The word here is void of any spiritual content. It means to make preparation. Get ready for something. Not to get ready, get ready, get ready. But get ready for something. Notice also it says all the people are supposed to prepare themselves for what they were going to do. So you prepare yourself for what they're going to do. Now what were they getting ready to do? Hold on. In this case, they were to get ready to eat. It was going to be a menu prepared by God and all you can eat smorgasbord. So they had to get ready. Now, those of you that know my wife know that you ain't going to come to, I ain't going to come in the kitchen and start to mess around with food until I do, do one thing. Wash your hands, dear. Y'all got it. Here's what this really means. Get prepared to eat. But the, they were getting ready to eat what God was going to prepare for them, but there were going to be some dreadful repercussions. And I, don't, I really need to stop that. Sometimes we be asking God for something, begging and pleading God for something, and then when we get what we've been begging for, there are repercussions. Trust me, I know, uh, speaking from experience, but there are going to be, as number six is going to tell us, some consequences. I can't tell you how many people in pre-marriage counseling I've been trying to tell them they need to wait, hold off. They go ahead and do what they want to do. They pray about it. God don't gave me permission. And then they get in six months later and trying to get out of it. But that's what you ask for. Consequences. Verse 19. And this is God speaking. You shall eat. Not one day. Nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty-five days, 
but for a whole month till it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you. No, you ain't. Yeah, you did because I've given you something you didn't want. And have wept before me saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? I want to know. How many of y'all ever said, why did I ever get saved? I'm going through more hell now than I did without that. You're despising what God has given you. The people complained about a lack of variety in their diet. They claimed that the manna was a boring diet. And they couldn't live without some meat. So God promised he was going to provide a diet of nothing but meat for a whole month. And they'd be so filled of it, they'd be sick of it. Remember I just talked about the pancakes? I don't care how good the pancakes is. You put whatever you want, a donut, Krispy Kreme, or whatever. But can you imagine eating three times a day for 30 days? Here's what the Lord did. If, if you read your psalm, you'll find out. The Lord called some quails to come into the camp. There were so many of them that it would take you a day's journey to go through all of them if you walk east, north, south, or west. They were so high, there were two cubics, which is about that high. Birds were everywhere. They began to pluck feathers and roast, and I guess they barbecued some, Robert, I don't know, smoked some, fried some, baked some, some of them might even made it raw. But for 30 days, name your favorite food. Now, how many of y'all can eat and nothing else for 30 days without getting tired of it? But that's what you asked for. That's what you asked for. It bothers me when people are unemployed, pray to the Lord about getting a job, then they get a job and they complain about it. It's what you asked for. We apply that to the church, Mary. Lord, show me a church where they teach the word of God that I can be a part of. And then you come, I don't like the way Pastor Dave preached that. <laughs> he don't never have nothing good to say. He's always on. Long he talk about love and God said, I'm going to give you enough meat. But Moses began to think about the thing. It became confusing to him. There were over 600,000 people. Moses couldn't wrap his mind around about how you going to feed 600,000 people. He, he, he didn't know nothing about the quail at that time. I just gave you a fast forward. So Moses had Concern, that's number seven. Concern. And here's the concern in verse 21 of Numbers 11. And Moses said, the people whom I'm among are 600,000 men on foot. So that means they're more than 600,000 because normally there are more women and children. You have said, and I want y'all to get this because you could very easily miss this. I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. 
Shall the flocks and the herd be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, has the arm, Lord's arm been shortened? Now you will see whether what I say will happen or not. Moses looking at this thing saying, which eye are you saying? I or you going to give these people meat? Moses' concern was based on his intellect. You know, he, he looked at the resource. They didn't bring no cattle and sheep and goats out of Egypt. There was no lake around for them to get fish. So he's saying, I'm out here... <laughs> And that where am I going to get all this stuff? Because Moses thought God was saying, I want you to do it. So he had some concern. <laughs> he, he looked at this and he crossed the numbers. You know, some of y'all are real analytic. He crossed the numbers. And Katie came up with a no way. No way. How many of y'all know that God can make a way out of? See, it's a yes way with God. And God told him, okay, you want to know, just wait. You do what I told you to do, and I'll do what I said I was going to do. Most of God was asking him to do it. So Moses questioned God. He said, is my arm short? Now, the word arm represents power. Moses had seen God's power in the past. Remember, now, he don't sit out there and seen the Red Sea split. So now, why is he questioning God? He said, you see me do that and notice the arm. Now, what did he tell Moses to do? Stretch out the rod, Red Sea spread. He said, now you think my arm is short? If I split the Red Sea, you don't think I can feed these people? Now find yourself. They will cost you. How many times has God delivered you from something? Why are you shaking in your boots now? You don't believe I can do it? He just said, yes way. And we're talking, okay, wait. You'll see. You'll see. Finally, we're going to get to the last C. Change. Change. Remember now, Moses is complaining because he got all this responsibility. He looked at calls and Consequences, concentration, made his confession. Now he's about to see a change. For those of you who don't know, the number eight in biblical perspective means new beginning. Some of y'all may be going through something, but if you can get through, to the change. You'll see. 
God's arm is not short. Verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men and elders to the people and placed them around the tabernacle, coming right back to the church. Then Moses, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took the spirit that was on him and placed the same upon the seven elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did it again. Right then they changed. They began to get Moses' heart. Now the prophesying of these elders was necessary for public authentication. It allowed the entire community to see that whatever Moses had, now these men have. It was actually 68 of them. How long will we get back there? Now, this word spirit in the Hebrew literally means wind. Y'all get this. It literally means wind. Y'all don't think that's no big deal, do you? You've been on Harley Bridge Road. Ask Lee's. Ask Lee's about when. When it get up to be 60 or 55 miles an hour. When means power. They got caught in the road doing that tornado, if y'all didn't know that. So he said, I'm going to take my power. So this word means to empower. When the men received the empowerment of God, they began to prophesy. So what does that mean? Prophecy may not mean proclamation or prediction. In this passage, it could just mean, Patrick, that they bowed down and worshiped in some form that everybody could see. Now, a lot of people thought that's what they were speaking in tongues. Well, how could they? I mean, these men, these people only knew two languages. That's Hebrew and Egyptian. When you look at the account in Acts 2, they were speaking language that they didn't know. So it couldn't have been tongues. It could have been some other static thing. We don't know. But whatever it was, they were doing the same thing Moses had been doing. And the people recognized that they had the spirit. But remember I told you it was 68? Because this spiritual osmosis chain went beyond those that are at the tabernacle in church. And that's a point I want to bring out. So hold on that. Verse 26. But two men remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad. And name of the other was me there. And the spirit rested on them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. The Lord placed the spirit on these two men who were listed among the seven, but they didn't come to the tabernacle. We don't know why. Maybe God let them. Maybe they were late. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I'm taking this? Remember, they're doing the same thing that the other people are saying. 
doing, prophesying, speaking forth the mind and counsel of God. But they are not in the tabernacle. Everybody that's called to ministry ain't called to get in the pulpit. That does not negate your role for saving souls. Go out among the people and save them. He did this to show that the osmosis was not related to Moses, the leader, or the church. But everybody wasn't satisfied. Me there, and the other there, are speaking the words of God. Stop them. That's what the text said. Even Joshua told Moses, stop them. Verse 28. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' sister, one of those chosen, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Are you doing this because you think they're going to take my place? Don't worry about it. He said, oh, that all the Lord's people would be prophets. And that the Lord will put his spirit upon all of them. Okay, Pastor, you don't bear up here long enough. So what's the point of the message? The ultimate test of a person or a pastor's leadership is the health of the church after he's no longer pastor. Can I say that again? The ultimate test, and put it personal, for how well I am leading this church for 26 years is not going to be determined to after I'm no longer here. So how can David Wilcoxon assure that the church will remain healthy? By reproducing leaders. As I was studying this text, Brandon, I was reminded of a popular song made popular by the Temptations. It was entitled, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. The writer of the song struck at the heart, which is an issue prevailing among men. We are unwilling to humble ourselves and to ask for help. I'm breaking that trend today. I'm telling the men here, I need help. And I ain't too proud to be. And I don't need just any help, I need spiritual help. You know, when you talk about us men, our ego, there's a joke that's often told about men who are driving. I know some of you wives say that. And the man don't know where he's going. He lost. He know he lost. But he ain't going to admit he lost. There's some of y'all here today that are spiritual loss. And you know it. 
but you're too proud to publicly confess or admit you lost. Truth is, you can't save yourself. Simply by coming to church, paying your tithes, doing some good deeds with some organization. You need to ask God to let his spirit come upon you. Come on, outreach team. But let me give you this. In order for osmosis to occur, the two objects must be in close proximity to each other. Osmosis is not going to take place long distance. The Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And I want you to just think about it. We're not asking you to join the church now. I want you to think about something. Why? Knowing that you are not in relationship, right relationship with God, why are you still in your seat? Why you won't move out? God has provided salvation for you. Are you dissatisfied with the way he did it? The way you can't save yourself, but you totally got to rely on Jesus. You're here today. Don't let your pride get in the way. Just come and talk with one of these servants of God. They'll take you in the back, won't embarrass you. They'll share Christ with you, then you can go home and we ain't never got to see you again. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.